life, as you know, is filled with many difficulties, many challenges, many heartaches. But life is also filled with many joys, many delights, many pleasures. As a father of four, one of the the great joys of my life is my four children. And particularly with our youngest, I am, I feel like I'm relishing every moment with her. Because, unless God has other plans, she is our last. And I love to be able to tuck her in bed at night and to hear her say, Good night, I love you, Daddy. Everyone said, Aww. I mean, what a heart melter she is. You and I, we are able, we have the privilege to find joy in this life because God is not a killjoy. He's not a curmudgeon. God has created us for joy, for delight. And And he's created us not just for joy and delight in him, but joy, delight, pleasure, satisfaction in the things he has created, in his gifts, in the things of this earth. And we read about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. So if you're not there, I want to invite you to open back up there. 1 Timothy chapter 4, it's page 1188, if you're using a pew Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And as you're opening there, I want to remind you that this letter was written to Timothy. That's why it's called 1 Timothy. And it was written to him when he was at a church in Ephesus. And he was there to help this church that had gone off the tracks in their teaching and in their practice. And so he was there to help them out. And God called this church, through this letter, to to get back on the tracks, as it were, to be shaped not not by the cultural practices that they were falling into and that they were embracing, and not by false teaching that was happening within the church, but to be shaped by the gospel. And this is because the gospel not only saves us, 
the gospel shapes us. As individuals, yes, but even as a church, as a body, corporately. And so with that reminder, what we see today is we see how the gospel is supposed to shape us. How it's supposed to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. Who God created us to be. Who he really wants us to be. So let's read what Grace Community Bible Church should be shaped like. How should we be fashioned and molded. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer." We're going to end there for the sake of uh, this morning. But here is, here's the takeaway. Here is, here's the main point of what I believe God wants to communicate to us through his word this morning. And that is this. A gospel-shaped church finds, and I would say even increasingly finds, gratitude and joy in the things of earth. To reject the creation, to reject the things of earth, God's gifts, is to apostatize from the faith. Now that's kind of a mouthful, that's a big sort of sentence. So what I want to do is I want to walk through the two main clauses in this main idea this morning. Okay, we're simply going to walk through that. So first, we're going to walk through a gospel-shaped church finds, it increasingly finds, gratitude in the things of earth. And then secondly, I want to, I want to show you that we need to be careful as Paul warns the church in Ephesus here, we need to be careful that we do not reject the things of earth because to do so would be falling away from the faith. So here we go. 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, if you look at it with me, 1 Timothy 4.4, 4, it tells you, it tells me to find gratitude in the things of earth. Verse 4, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. So we are told to receive everything created by God with gratitude. 
Now, that's what we're told here. So this brings up a massive question. What are the things created by God? We are supposed to find gratitude in the things created by God, in the things of earth. Right? We're supposed to find gratitude in those things. So what are these things? What are the things created by God? Well, if you look at verse earlier, we see two things created by God. Verse 3. Marriage and foods. Look at it. Verse 3. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which things God has created. So marriage and food are two examples of things that Paul gives here that God has created. But it's not only marriage and food that God has created. What else has God created? What else has he created? I almost want audience feedback this morning. <laughs> what else? Well, according to Colossians 1.16, through Christ, he has created all things visible and invisible. So let's brainstorm a little bit about what he has created. I want to brainstorm, first of all, some categories of things that God has created. He has created human beings. He has created marriage, as we already said. He has created friendship. He has created nature, and the list is endless. I mean, we could, I could be here for another hour talking about categories of things God created. Those are categories. Now I want to get a little more specific. What else has God created? Here's what God has created. He has cre created willow trees. And we are going to miss our willow tree in our backyard. That thing has doubled in size since we've been there. He's created Kentucky bluegrass, and I'm not going to miss that because I can't get mine to grow. <laughs> He's created Denali. He's created cirrus clouds and circus clowns. Well, maybe not circus clowns. <laughs> not those. He's created hamsters. Long live Humphrey the hamster. Right, kids? But that's not all. That's not all God has created. I want to stretch your mind a little this morning. And I want you to realize that God has created thousands of other things through you and me. Thousands of other things through you and me. None of us here this morning, but I just think of the Mona Lisa. The Lord of the Rings, baseball, golf, although some of you don't think God created golf, no way, <laughs> too boring, Jeeps, and apple pie. I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg of things that God has created. And the point here is to find gratitude, delight, Joy in these things of earth. To relish in them. To find satisfaction in them. 
But don't take my word for it. I want you to listen to John Calvin, who is a million times smarter than me. (laughs) So listen to what he says. He says, If we ponder to what end God created food. Now, you know he's going deep here. It's what he did. He always went to the deep end of the pool when he wrote and thought. So he says, If we ponder to what end... God created food, we shall find that he meant it not only to provide for necessity, but also for delight and good cheer. Has the Lord clothed the flowers with great beauty that greets our eyes? The sweetness of smell that is wafted upon our nostrils? And yet, he says, will it be unlawful? Will it be wrong for our eyes to be affected by that beauty, our sense of smell, by the sweetness of that odor? Did he not, in short, render many things attractive to us apart from their necessary use? I find, just me personally, I find great joy and delight, and this is in no particular order, in bacon-wrapped potatoes and cookie dough blizzard. That's going to be my last meal, (laughs) if I can choose. I find great delight and joy in a Prius that gets 50 miles per gallon. I find great joy and delight in holding my wife's hand. I find joy and delight in freshly cut grass and the smell of it. I love that smell. It's the smell of summer. I find great joy in taking a walk on a warm summer night. I find joy and I love the roar of the Masters tournament on Sunday. It's just amazing. To hear the roar and to see those players play. What are you grateful for? What do you take delight in? What is in this life? What makes life sweet? What makes life joyful? I want to do something a little bit different this morning. I want us to take a moment... And I want you to turn to the person next to you. And I want you to share one, two, three. You go to town with it. What are things in your life that bring you great joy? Do that right now for a minute or two. Don't get carried away. And husbands, I hope you said you find delight in your wife. 
I just set you up for a great opportunity there. <laughs> if you didn't, you got time still after the sermon. Now, despite all that we just talked about, despite all that I said, there is a problem. There is a problem. There might be a latent, sort of a low-grade, or even, I would say, an outright rejection. Even in your heart of what I just said, if you really, really think about what I said, finding joy, delight in the things of earth. That's not right. That feels wrong. That feels against what I know. Some of you, even I know you struggle, you feel guilty in the pleasures of life. There's a sense of guilt you feel in delighting in those things that you enjoy in. And I understand. I understand those feelings because I feel the same. And you know what? Those feelings have been around since the dawn of time. No kidding, since the dawn of time. You see, you know, according even to this passage, you know that God created everything good. You know that. Because in Genesis 1, it says God created and this was good, and this was good, and this was good, and this was good. You know that. But in chapter 3 of Genesis, there's something that happens. You know the fall happened, and you know the fall royally messed things up. <laughs> Big time. A royal mess up. So, here's the question. How does the fall factor in how we receive God's good gifts? That's worth thinking about. We don't live pre-fall. We live post-fall. So how does the fall factor in? How does it figure into this idea of receiving with gratitude the things of earth? The things God has created. And that he's created through us that we enjoy. So here's the thing. There are essentially three errors or faults or problems that we can fall into, no pun intended with that, but there are three things that we can fall into, problems that we can fall into when it comes to finding gratitude and joy and delight in the things of earth, in creation, in what God created. And the three problems, I want to summarize with three words. Just very conceptually, and then we're going to go through these three. They are, number one, rejection. Number two, idolatry. And number three, complaint. So post-fall, this is the problem that we face with the things of earth. Rejection, idolatry, and complaint. So the first problem. The first problem to finding delight in the things of earth, is rejection. And this is the problem, apparently, that was being faced in the church of Ephesus. They were, or they were 
susceptible to or they were about to reject God's good creation. Let's read about this in chapter 4, verse 1. Paul warns them about this. This is going to take place, he says. Chapter 4, verse 1. But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences with a brain and iron. Right? So they're going to they're going to they're going to fall away from the faith. They're going to pay attention to these spirits. And what does this look like? It looks like it's it's by by means of hypocrisy of liars seared in their own consciences with a branding iron. Now those are some strong words that Paul says. Very strong words. Very very descriptive language. And then he really gets nasty. He actually starts to apply what he's saying, and he calls out some examples in verse 3. He says, in verse 3, they're not, they're not tempted to party like it's 1969. Right? They're, look what they're going to do. They're going to forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. They're rejecting. They're tempted. They're going to be tempted to reject the things of earth. Recognized as the first Christian monk, a man named Anthony, he took Jesus' words in Matthew 19.21 to heart. Here's Jesus' words. You don't have to turn there. Listen. Jesus says, Go. Sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So at age 20, in the prime of life, this man fled to the wilderness to live in a tomb and escape the evils of the world. The problem. The problem is, and I've heard, I, I know you've heard this, but it's true, and it's a little bit cliche, but you can take a man out of the world, but you can't take the world out of a man. His solution for rejection did not work because it can't change his heart. Rejection ultimately doesn't work because it doesn't have power. It can't change our hearts. Only Christ can change our hearts and to give us new loves and delights. And yet, the irony of it is, is that throughout history, even to this day, there is an inclination in Christians to reject the things of earth. In fact, I could name, and I'm not going to because I don't want you to Google it right now, I could name a popular book that appeared just about five years ago that basically advocated for rejecting this world, the things of earth. Just five years ago. Haven't we learned anything? <laughs> no, no. That's why we have the scripture, right? So part of this rejection mentality stems from, it stems from false teaching. Because typically, 
false and bad practices stem from false and bad teachings. So it stems from an old heresy, alive and well in Paul's day and still today in various forms. It's the idea that the material world is evil and the spiritual world is good. So things that you can touch, taste, see, and smell, like kittens, steak, and fall leaves, have to be evil. And things like angels, they're good. Why are kittens evil? (laughs) I mean, some of you think kittens are evil, I get that, right? But this is contrary to God's word. Everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected. Now, there is something very serious and, and life-destructing, like, like sucking life out of you, destructing, about rejecting the things of earth. In fact, so serious, it means you may, I would say it means you may have fallen away from the faith. Why? Why is it that if you reject the things of earth, you may have fallen away from the faith? It's because God made us to enjoy the things he gives us. He did. And, and here is why, to reject his creation, you know what it is ultimately reject? reject? It's to reject him. It's to reject the giver. Think about this for a moment. Think about how you would feel if on Christmas Day you watched your loved one open the gift that you worked so hard at purchasing. I mean, you went to, you know, tons and tons of stores or clicked and clicked and clicked for hours to find this. This is the perfect gift for them. And on Christmas Day, they unwrapped your gift, they take one look at it, and they say, that's the worst gift ever! Now, how would you feel if that happened to you? You'd feel horrible. That that would be awful. And yet, and yet, to categorically reject music, movies, marriage, that's all the M's I can think about, And on and on and on is to do the same thing to God. But it's actually worse. It is to apostatize or fall away from the faith. It's to reject God's good creation that he made to be received with gratitude. So here's what I want to say. I'm serious about this. Your problem and my problem might not be that you enjoy the world too much, but that you enjoy the world too little. The problem, in other words, is that you might not enjoy the world rightly. You don't enjoy the world because of God. You enjoy the world in spite of God. You see, you see the world, the things of earth, you see these things not as good and something to be received with gratitude, but as something to be rejected. Right? That is the first problem we face. 
Now, I know in a sermon, in a message, I know there are tons of distractions. And I know maybe even I've distracted you by thinking about kittens this morning. Right? So I want us to all come back and revisit what we're doing here, what we're saying. I'm arguing this morning, according to this passage, that a gospel-shaped church finds gratitude in the things of earth. But there are problems that we face. And specifically here, Paul gives us a very, very real problem. The problem is that we might actually reject the things that God has given us to enjoy. But there are other problems that we face post-fall. Right? So it's not, that, it's not just that we can reject the things of earth. The second problem we face is that we tend to turn the things of earth into idols. Now, I don't mean like the Israelites did in the wilderness, right, of old, take all the gold, the thing of earth, and turn it into a golden statue and bow down to it. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. We don't do that today. I simply mean we make the things of earth. So, a loved one, a bank account, a job, status, a body image, and million other created things, we make these things into ultimate things. That's what idolatry is. It's taking a created thing and making it ultimate. So if the first problem is that you enjoy the world too little, this is a problem of enjoying the world too much. Stated differently, the first problem is that you do not enjoy the world because of God, but in spite of God. This problem is that you don't enjoy the world through God, but you enjoy the world as God. The things of earth become your God. A few years ago, um, it's been about five years ago now, my wife and I, um, we got to spend a, a, um, a holiday in Alaska. I have a good friend up there. Um, they live in Fairbanks. He's a uh, tourism pilot up there. And uh, when we were there, we went to uh, Denali National Park. And let me just say, Denali Park is, is literally otherworldly. So if you ever have a chance, go. It is absolutely amazing. And because the park is so massive... And they want to keep it so pristine, you can literally only drive in like two miles into the park. And so if you want to see more of the park, which of course you don't go to Denali to see two miles of it, you want to see more, um, you got to buy tickets, obviously, and, and, and um, hop on this gray school bus. Like, no kidding, just a regular old school bus. Now, on this school bus... It's filled with, with who? Who's on the school bus? Who do you think? Tourists, right? The, the wild animal paparazzi, <laughs> right? Everyone with their cell phones trying to see all the wild animals that you see against the backdrop of Denali. I mean, Denali is like a winter version of an African safari, right? That's what Denali is like. So, I want you to imagine the scene with me for a minute. We're sitting on the school bus, and we're driving through Denali to see the grizzly bears, the wolves, 
the huge moose, the doll sheep. And all of a sudden, I, and I'll just say I would do this, not my wife, I jump up out of my seat and I say, wow, look at these windows on this bus. They're everything I dreamed of. Now you, if you were on that bus with me, you would look at me and you would start taking pictures of me because I am the wild animal. You don't do that, right? We know we don't do that. We, we use the windows and we're thankful for the windows because they protect us from the wild animals. But the windows are merely what we look through to see the ultimate reality, the ultimate joy and delight. It's those, it's those wild animals in Denali. Now, I hope you understand the illustration. You and I easily, we easily turn created things into ultimate things. The windows become the ultimate thing. But in reality, the windows are only the lens through which we find our ultimate delight, and that is God himself. So the things of earth, like a six-week-old puppy, Sam, your puppy is so cute. (laughs) Or Jeep CJ7s, or Mount Everest, those are only windows, they're pointers to the true and ultimate source of our gratitude and joy, and that is God himself. So the things of earth don't get sent to the smelting yard, as Thomas the Train says. They don't get sent to the smelting yard. It means that the things of earth are seen as beautiful and glorious and joyful only, only as they come from a good and glorious God who we find ultimate joy and delight in. Now, of course, you've got to be wondering, how do you know if the things of earth have trumped God in your life? Let me give you ten signs. Ten signs that may indicate you've turned the things of earth into ultimate things. I'm just going to go through these quick. I don't want you to write them down necessarily. I just want you to think. So number one, it causes you to sin to get it. What is that thing that causes you to sin to get it? Two, it gives you greater joy than Christ. Now the key word is greater. Remember, we are meant for joy in the things of this earth. It causes you greater joy than God. Three, it gives you most excitement about the future. Four, it is something you daydream about the most. Five, it is what you most enjoy talking about. Six, it's what you fear losing. Seven, it's what you enjoy reading about. Eight, it's what you most love spending money on. Nine, it's what you look to when you're down. And ten, it's what you enjoy spending time on. Those are indicators, those are clues. 
If there's a common idol that has come to mind, I don't want you to say, I don't want you to think this morning, you know, I'm going to do better. I see it, Dan, you've shown me. (laughs) No, don't say I'm going to do better. Don't say I'm just lousy and now, Dan, you're making me feel horrible. No, turn to Jesus. Go to him, confess the idol of sin, and renew your mind with Scripture. That's what we do with the idols in our life. So because of the fall, all of us have idols. It's the second problem we face in enjoying and delighting in the things of earth. And there's a third problem. There's a third problem. If the first problem is rejection and the second problem, idolatry, the third problem in receiving the things of earth with gratitude is complaint. And this is implied here in this text. And I'll just spend a minute on, here, a minute on this because this hits us all hard. Right? We tend to receive the things of earth mostly not with gratitude but with complaint. We complain about the long line at the drive through Starbucks at 8 a.m. on Kenwood Trail in the morning, right? We complain about slow Wi-Fi when it's free. (laughs) We complain about 40-hour work weeks, about the weather, about no leg room in economy class, about the toilet seat being left up, even having to wake up in the morning. We can't see the good in fast food. They don't have it in Sierra Leone, so be thankful for fast food in Starbucks, right? We can't see the good in free Wi-Fi, <laughs> being able to have a job, rain and heaven forbid snow. Who needs leg room in economy? That's why it's economy. And a toilet seat lid to sit on and getting to wake up in the morning. Getting to wake up in the morning to experience all the joys that God has given us in this world. Rather, we need to have the perspective, brothers and sisters. We need to have the mindset. We need to have the perspective of a guy named Santos. Santos one day He was so thankful. He was so grateful. He tweeted into Taco Bell and he said this. He said, thank you for dinner at Taco Bell. Taco Bell responded back. They tweeted back to him. They said, you're welcome, Santos. What did you order? Santos replies, I got diarrhea, but it was worth it. That's the perspective. That's the mindset that we need to have. You know, as as believers, as Christians, I'm sure you've been to a funeral of, of a Christian where you'll hear someone say, this person, you'll see it in their obituary, you'll you'll hear you'll hear it in their funeral eulogy you'll hear them say that this person loved life. I think of all people, 
of all people as Christians, we should love life. Yes, life is hard. Yes, it is a broken world. Yes, we do suffer. But brothers and sisters, you can have gratitude and joy at the sunset on a beach. At a profound conversation with a friend. At a good T-bone steak. In joy and fellowship with the brothers and sisters in this body. In this church. You see, as Christians, we see, we see the things of earth in a whole new way. A whole new way. They aren't rejected. They don't become our end. And we are grateful. Why? Because as Christians, we see a God behind everything. We see a God behind everything. This is why Paul says, look at it with me. I'm not done. Look at verse 3. He says that the things of earth should be, what? Gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Unlike those who worship the creation, we worship the giver. We worship the giver of good gifts. And we take great joy in what he has provided for us. What I am saying is, a gospel-shaped church finds gratitude in the things of earth. To reject the creation is to apostatize from the faith. And all God's people said, Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.